What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of SDGC After Hours. Tonight, we are unpacking yet more next-gen news as Microsoft has unveiled additional full specs for the Xbox Series X. I am Zach. I'm sitting down today with Justin. Justin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Hanging in there. It's kind of been a crazy couple weeks, but I'm, <laughs> I'm surviving. <sighs> and of course, we also have Windows Central Sam Tolbert. Sam, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for inviting me over here. You know, you guys know I love talking to you. And besides, I'm social distancing, so what else am I going to that, do? That's right. That's right. This is our this is our uh, social exposure for the, for, for the day. <laughs> uh, so yeah, after after kind of a crazy last week, uh, Microsoft made news right away this morning, like 8 a.m. They put out a bunch of stuff with uh, various uh, channels blowing out the full spec sheet of the Series X. They had folks like Digital Foundry come out and look through um, the hardware, but also play some games and see what they're up to. Um, but I feel like the right place for us to start and, and where people are going to have the most questions is the actual hardware specs and what they mean in practical terms for, for consumers. So Sam, can you kind of run us through that baseline of what they've established today? Sure, sure. So everyone who's been listening uh, is familiar with the Windows Central leak happened uh, December, just before the Game Awards last year, and uh, detailed some of the specs. And it turns out the actual specs are pretty in line with that. We have 12 teraflops, or more specifically 12.15 teraflops, of RDNA 2, uh, RDNA 2.0 computing capability on the graphics power. We also have a Zen 2 CPU that has eight cores, clocked at 3.8 gigahertz, 3.6 gigahertz, but it can be overclocked to 3.8. We'll come back to that because that's a little tricky, and Justin's going to touch on that. We also have 16 gigabytes of GDDR6 RAM. 10 gigs are clocked at 560 gigabits per second, with an additional 6 at 336 gigabits per second. A 1 terabyte custom NVMe SSD. And then we also got the details of expandable storage, which is going to be a little complicated as well, so we'll dive back in on that uh, as a separate topic. Sam, I feel like uh, <laughs> the number that people are always going to talk about because Microsoft set this baseline uh, with the Xbox One X is teraflops. The Xbox One X, of course, came in around six uh, teraflops, PS4 Pro around four, four and a half. Sam, so this number, Microsoft is saying, uh, they've been saying 12, but it ends up being about 12.155 teraflops. What does that mean in practical terms? Does that just raw mean twice as powerful as the One X? In practice, it actually means a little bit more than that, because I mentioned RDNA 2.0, and put very simply, it's an architectural leap. RDNA 2.0 graphics cards for PC don't actually exist on the market yet. They're expected to hit later in the year. We'll see how that goes because of everything going on. Uh, but what it means is 12 teraflops here is more powerful than 12 teraflops on older hardware. It's more efficient. It uses uh, the power better, and you're going to get more of a result. So while the numbers say this is twice as powerful as an Xbox One X, in practice, it's actually going to be much more than that. It's going to be well over uh, twice as powerful. And so basically, it's a lot of graphics power for games. Like, it, it's a substantial leap that neither myself nor anyone else I know actually expected this time last year. And um, another element of that is um, just on top of the raw efficiency gains of RDNA 2, there's a lot of features that can be used to save performance um, that haven't been in previous uh, GPU generations from AMD and haven't been in consoles before. Um, stuff like variable rate shading, which is kind of like a different dimension of dynamic resolution. Um, whereas dynamic resolution just scales like the total resolution of the scene. This um, will adjust the, the precision of shading based off of visibility. So like if something's obscured by darkness or motion blur or depth of field, you won't be spending as much power um, calculating how things how things are shaded, how things look in areas where you can't see, and that frees up a lot of performance. Um, and there's 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 a few other things that we'll talk about um, too uh, that are in here. But like the raw jump is bigger than people thought, but also there's a lot of these like really good efficiency saving and performance saving techniques that aren't going to have any kind of visible impact um, to somebody playing the game, but can really save a lot of performance on the developer end. 
Right. And I think that's one of the bigger things this today as we kind of unpack the details of what's in here is there's a lot of stuff that is basic and, and understandable to people like me, layman consumers who, who will buy this thing and just want to know if the numbers went up. Uh, but also it just seems like there's a lot of forward looking, uh, uh, hardware here that will basically just make development lives a little bit easier, a little bit less tedious, um, and, and, and hopefully, um, you know, a little bit, uh, just make lives a little bit better. Sam, you know, we were talking about getting more uh, out of our teraflops. One thing I've got to say, uh, and, I, and I feel like it's worth addressing, is I've seen people on Twitter latch onto this 25 teraflops number for the Xbox Series X. What is that, and what does that mean compared to the 12.155 Microsoft's been talking about? What is What does that all that mean? Okay, so first off, right off the bat, I would tell you, don't get hung up on that number if you're listening. If you're confused about it, trust me, the 12.15 is far more important. I would latch on to that number. But to explain, because this number is going around, the 25 teraflops refers to the fact that a teraflop means trillions of floating point operations. That's what a teraflop is. It's a measurement of performance. And floating point operations can have different bits. So the 12.15 teraflops refers to floating point 32. 32 numbers, right? 32 numbers all in a string. But if you use floating point 16, which is only 16 numbers, you get far less precision, but it's going to be twice as powerful because it's half as less numbers, half as many numbers, excuse me, which means you can go twice as far. And so for ray tracing and a few other things like machine learning and some algorithms and techniques Microsoft is using for developers, you don't actually have to use uh, floating point 32 integers. You can use floating point 16. It's very similar to the rapid packed math that uh, uh, lead engineer Cerny talked about for the PS4 Pro back in 2016. Very similar to that. I wouldn't get too hung up over it, but it's a very good thing for developers who want to experiment with, you know, injecting ray traced elements into games. Gotcha. That's that's gotcha. what you should take away. It's good for devs. Don't get hung up on that number because it, it's not a 25 teraflop console. Perfect. Justin, uh, you know, speaking of, of some nuance in, in how the, way the numbers work, the CPU on the Series X is also a little bit unique. Can you unpack, uh, first of all, reiterate what the CPU uh, uh, specs are, and then also unpack what that means in practical terms for developers? All right, so the CPU is just as, if not more, impressive than the GPU. Um, it is based on AMD's Zen 2 architecture, which, um, if you've been following computing news at all, um, this has been a massive win for AMD. This is a very, very capable um, architecture that has been selling incredibly well and really has Intel uh, on the ropes. So um, this is a massive change from the Jaguar cores that the current systems are based on. Those were considered very, like those were not a high performance architecture. Those were a very low performance architecture even when these consoles launched. And they were also clocked very low. Um, this is the complete opposite of that. Um, this is a brand new, really fast architecture, clocked pretty high. Um, the uh, CPU is eight cores, um, just like the current um, systems. However, it has um, multi-threading. So there are 16 threads instead of eight, like on the current um, consoles, which means um, it can handle more processes at once. However, um, my, uh, it's clocked at 3.66 gigahertz at when you're using the full eight cores, 16 threads, which is a higher clock than I would have expected. I thought, you know, we were probably going to top out around 3.2 maybe um, in a console. <laughs> so getting up to 3.66 is excellent. Um, on PC, these, these CPUs um, adjust clock speed based off of load and heat and so um the the ryzen 3700x is probably the closest comparison um not exactly because consoles have different customizations and stuff but probably the closest analog is the 3700x and like when gaming most people have reported that it usually runs at like 3.9 gigahertz usually consoles are clocked way way lower than um pc stuff if we're getting 3.66 and that's like a constant fixed spec consoles don't you know change speed um based off of load or anything um 
that's a super impressive number. So, um, in layman's terms, does that basically add up to just more games hitting consistent frame rates, or is it more complicated than that? I mean, I think that's probably how we'll see it most of the time early on. Um, but it can also lead to a lot more uh, physics simulation, um, a lot more interactivity, a lot more um, just much smoother data streaming. Um, there, there's a whole lot of things that the CPU uh, really needs to do. And the, with the way that games have been moving lately, uh, CPU is becoming more and more important. And last generation was almost a side grade from the previous generation. Um, th- this, is, this is a really big jump. But there's also um, another mode that's also uh, pretty interesting. It's the CPU runs at 3.8 gigahertz, but it does not have those f- the full 16 threads. It runs with eight threads, um, one per core, which um, I think will be very useful for backwards compatibility uh, games because those are already built around eight cores that are single threaded. Um, as well as cross-gen games um, at the beginning of the generation because those probably won't be heavily mu- as heavily multi-threaded. Um, as the generation goes on, I think you know developers will work more on multi-threading. And that 3.66, even though it's a slightly lower clock speed, w- in a properly multi-threaded program, it will run quite a bit better. So um, I think that's a really clever uh Customization. Um, I was not expecting to see something like that, and I think I think it's pretty cool. So, um, for for most of the time, the three point six six number is probably going to be what people should focus on. But um, the fact that it can even get up to three point eight in a console box is spectacular. Like that, that it's really, really, really good. Uh, bodes well for the architecture. Bodes well for the engineering of this console. Um, I'm really impressed with that side of things. And and kind of in tandem with the both the GPU and then the CPU, um, I, I feel like one of the biggest innovations here that people uh, at first might feel frustrated about, but is genuinely good for all of us, uh, is the move to the SSDs uh, that that we kind of saw unveiled today. Uh, so Sony kind of made waves with this, being the first to announce it last year in a Wired article where they were talking about. Um, you know how much faster they could get Spider-Man to run because they had an improved uh, uh, SSD. Microsoft is following suit. They're doing a similar model, uh, and it's going to come with a one terabyte SSD on board. Um, it's really, really fast, and the good thing is there is actually, yes, it's good for consumers. It means shorter load times, but also for developers, it means that you can more quickly stream in content, and you can basically build your worlds uh the way you want them to be seen by the players uh, at a faster rate. So, guys, that means things like textures come in sooner, right? Yeah. Um, another another cool thing about SSDs, and this is something that Sony has kind of talked about a bit um, more than Microsoft, is that file sizes can actually go down because um, on mechanical hard drives, uh, things are copied multiple times um, so that they can be accessed quickly. Um uh, Insomniac Games has a really, really good tech presentation on Spider-Man, uh, talking about you know issues that they had with um, getting stuff. They said there were some pieces of data that were copied on in there 400 times, so that no matter where you were in the game, they could access that data quickly. On an SSD, that's entirely unnecessary. <laughs> so, um, right. so uh, you know, games are getting really big. Uh, I know we've talked about it with, like, Modern Warfare and stuff. Like, that game has massive patches, hu- huge file size and stuff. Um, so, like, that's this is another benefit. Um, and I think just from a user experience standpoint, having an operating system built fully around an SSD and games optimized around an SSD is going to just make using the console kind of bring that sense of immediacy back that used to be in like the cartridge days and stuff. And I think that'll be really cool. Yeah. And I think one of the things that comes along with this is that, uh, you know, one terabyte is a decent amount of, uh, of storage uh, built into the console. But also when you have games on Xbox like Modern Warfare or Gears of War that are punching in around 100 gigs per game, you are quickly going to eat that up in your first couple months playing, which means uh, you're going to need additional storage solutions. And Microsoft kind of announced a few versions of that. Uh, One is you could continue to do what you're probably doing with your Xbox or PlayStation right now, which is that you have a USB connected uh, that has an external that's, you know, several terabytes. 
Uh, you can keep doing that on next gen, but in order to play new games, you are going to need to transfer that file to the SSD, and so you're going to have to keep shuffling content between the hard drive and the SSD because they're going to need that increased speed because that's how the games are built. And also, um, and I, they said with older games, you know, you won't get the load time benefits. Uh, but that you could you would play them on from the there. SSD. You you are able to play them from the external. However, it will limit some of the benefits of playing them on a Series X, which is right. reasonable. Like we yeah. can't overcome it's USB to be transfer speeds. That's yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but the other option that Microsoft presented is they are going to have their own proprietary. Uh, you know, there's a there's a technical term for it. I'm gonna say what they are. They're memory cards. Memory cards are back, uh, and they they look uh, you know like little like little memory cards that you might have for your GameCube or, or your PlayStation Two, um, and they are one terabyte and up in size, uh, and they're just gonna slot right into the back of the console. Uh, and they, the reason they're proprietary is essentially uh, again developers are are people who are going to benefit a lot from the new drives, almost more than consumers. And so having a standardized proprietary piece of tech means that the developers can always count on a certain speed and performance. They don't have any variability, which is great for developers. They can better build their games uh, and predict the outcome of when people are going to see what and what needs they're going to need met. Um, But it is going to mean that uh, these are probably not going to be cheap. Um, They're probably going to be, I don't know, guys, what, over $100 probably? (laughs) I I guess probably around a hundred. Um, yeah, yeah. Starting at maybe ninety nine dollars, probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not going to be cheap, but um, the fa- at least that they're planning all r- right away to have expanded storage because, like, I know I have a two terabyte hard drive in my PS4 Pro, and I hit that limit a lot, um, just yeah. with the types of games I have <laughs> installed, and it's gonna get worse <laughs> as time goes on. Even, um, but I. I'm very excited about SSDs, and I'm glad that there is a high-speed solution. Um, I kind of predicted that they were going to, you know, let us use, you know, externals um, as kind of just cold storage and swap things out. But, um, like, again, just on the topic of having, you know, developers knowing how things are going to work. Again, uh, Insomniac, when they were working on Spider-Man, said they had to optimize around very, very slow mechanical drives because you can put in any kind of drive into the PS4 as long as it fits. Um, So they had to optimize the game for, you know, if somebody put in just a really cheap drive um, because it it had to function. So um, I'm really glad there is, you know, this option so that developers know exactly how games are going to run no matter what you have in your system. Um, And yeah, I am a bit concerned about the cost, but um, I'm glad the solution is in place the way it is. Yeah. If I can contribute... Yeah, please. I I just think, echoing what Justin's saying, I understand some people are going to be concerned about the loss of freedom, but we can't emphasize enough it's worth losing that little bit of freedom to have this standard moving forward. That every developer will know, okay, I guarantee there's going to be an SSD. That's why uh, there won't be any external storage smaller than one terabyte. Because at minimum, developers are going to know we have one terabyte of SS- like custom SSD tech to work with here. So a proprietary option in this case makes sense. It's, it's cutting the Gordian knot, basically. Sam, do you expect that Sony will follow suit and, and absolutely have their own? Are they going to have memory cards too? Almost certainly. I would say they're upwards of a 95% chance. Not doing gotcha. so because we argued uh, and discussed this constantly in Discord and back and forth on Twitter, like how exactly the system would work. And the answer is you just got to make it as simple as possible. Making it as simple as possible is the best option for developers. And even though they might bemoan the lack of freedom, it's going to be the best option for consumers. Sony has to realize that as well, especially since they were one of the first ones talking about SSD tech back in April 2019. Right. And also, costs will come down as the generation goes on. So, like, I think for, especially people that are, you know, obviously for me, I'm probably going to have to get expanded storage on day one. Like, that's probably something that's going to have to happen. But, um, you know, people that don't play quite as many games... The price of the SSDs and stuff will come down as the generation goes on. 
Um, and there will be bigger ones built into the consoles and stuff, and probably bigger one. They'll probably sell larger ones um, in stores. So like, I you know at launch, especially if the, these consoles end up being as um, expensive as I think they're probably gonna be, uh, it definitely will add some sticker shock. But I think long term, it's gonna be the best uh, solution. Yeah, and so I think that we're probably probably ready to move on into the. Um... You know, we've talked a lot about the, the hardware uh, inside, but I feel like it's time to talk about the feature set. Uh, Sam, do you kind of want to walk us through what ray tracing features we saw uh, unveiled today and in what games and what that kind of looks like in practice? Sure. So one of the main games talked about uh, was Gears 5. It's going to be using smart delivery, which is Microsoft's way of saying that upgrades are free, just like 1X patches. If, if again, you're playing the game installed on an Xbox Series X or that expansion card. It won't work if you have it in cold storage on your old hard drive plugged in. And it means they're getting a bunch of features like uh, ultra PC settings. The cutscenes in the campaign have gone from 30 frames per second to 60 frames per second. They're actually looking at 120 frames per second in the multiplayer mode, which is fantastic uh, as someone who plays Gears 5 almost every single day. And then another part they talked about was global illumination ray traced elements. And basically, in layman's terms, what that means is more realistic lighting. It means that the light doesn't have to be simulated as to, oh, well, it would kind of look like this, and, you know, you're guesstimating based off of a visual comparison. It means you can actually bounce particles around as a developer and test what would light realistically do. Light isn't just, you know, no light and then no light. There's different layers of lighting. There's different soft shadows and hard shadows. And global illumination being ray traced is a very, very nice thing. It's going to make things far more immersive moving forward. And also just with ray tracing, um, you know, just as we're talking about, you know, we've been to, there's kind of been dis- more dis- more discussions about, you know, developer conditions and stuff. Um, a lot of lighting, especially in high end games, is baked these days, which means it's pre-calculated. Um, it's not calculated as you play. And so sometimes just like um, I think it was Bungie was talking about like sometimes they would have to, you know, if they moved a rock, they would have to rebake the entire scene and it would take hours. Um, I've heard stories of developers like in the last legs of development, which is a lot of times where the visuals come together, having to wait like they would start start baking the scene when they left and were just hoping it would be done when they got back so that it in could the morning. Work. Yeah. Um, the thing about ray tracing, on top of just, I mean, it looks excellent, um, and it does, there's a lot of minute um, kind of effects that can be simulated with ray tracing that are just automatic that we can't do through kind of current um, techniques. It'll just save a, developers a whole hell of a lot of time, which is honestly why I think it's probably in these consoles, because if it's calculated in real time as you play they can if they want to move a light source they can just move the light source and then see how it affects the scene and stuff so i i really think that people haven't been talking about that side of things um and it might not be for a little while before we see it because you know a lot of games are going to be targeting cross-gen or you know pcs that don't have ray tracing um acceleration hardware but i think once we move towards engines that are you know using ray tracing heavily and only targeting hardware that has ray tracing, I think I think that'll help development times a lot. For sure. Well, and honestly, uh, you know, folks who, who haven't seen any of this footage, Gears of War looked great, but I actually uh, was most impressed by Minecraft and how good Minecraft looks with ray tracing. They said that a single developer for uh, uh, Mojang built it in a month, uh, and it was looking super, super sharp in the demos they showed today. Um, Sam, did you get a chance to take a look at that? Only very briefly, but the the little brief bit that I did see looked fantastic. And again, the fact that just one person did that in uh, a month, like you said, the Gears 5 stuff, that whole upgrade was done uh, in just two weeks by a handful With no of optimization. Yeah, that's without any optimization. That's just porting it over and flicking a bunch of switches and turning stuff on. And so... And that- the thing about Minecraft, too, that's also super impressive is... Um, I mean, it's Minecraft, but it's actually fully path-traced, which is a level beyond 
what typical ray tracing is probably going to be in a lot of AAA games where it's used for specific effects. This is literally everything is being ray traced. Reflections, lighting, shadows, everything. Um, it's a huge undertaking. Like uh, Quake 2 is available on PC with full path tracing. And it's Quake 2, but it even brings, like, high-end rigs to their knees, like, playing it fully path-traced. So seeing Minecraft fully path-traced running on a console with just, you know, one developer working in a short amount of time is huge. Um, People really didn't think ray tracing was going to become mainstream anytime soon, even just a couple years ago. Um, I was one of them. Um, so it's really cool to see this uh, this coming up. You know, before we move on to to some of the more interesting little things that the the uh, geniuses at Microsoft have have kind of baked into backwards compatibility, I do really want to quick uh, touch on how ray tracing is going to be used for sound. Do you guys have any insight on that? Okay, so I'll I will preface this by saying it's the one I understand the least. Uh, my understanding with ray tracing is far better suited to visuals rather than lighting and how that stuff is affected rather than audio. But the nutshell version is that audio ray tracing is being supported uh, full front here. Microsoft is doing dedicated work on the hardware. They're even calling it Project Acoustics. Um, And that is going to mean that audio is simulated properly so it's not just a sound going off in a game. It's going to be sound and then like, hey, how would sound bounce around this hallway? How would sound sound in an open field or in a castle or uh, in a cave system where things are really cramped and wet? Like, sound sounds differently, and they're taking a look at that. Justin, I'm not sure if you have more to add on that. So um, kind of the cool thing about this is audio ray tracing is not nearly as computationally expensive <laughs> as, like, lighting. Um, ray tracing... It, one thing to keep in mind is ray tracing has kind of been marketed as just like lighting or shadows or reflections or something. It can be used for a whole lot of things, including physics, uh, um, audio, stuff like that. So it can be used for a lot of things. Um, and there are games that currently, like on current systems that do uh, audio ray tracing. Uh, the new Modern Warfare uh, is actually doing that. Uh, in real time on current hardware. Um, But the neat thing about this being hardware accelerated and the fact that both Sony and Microsoft are going to be having 3D audio um, processing chips will mean that integrating this into games is almost a negligible development cost. Like, Mm -hmm. um, the games that have to do it now uh, had to specifically budget to be able to do that. Whereas in the future, this this is probably just going to become a standard feature because it can be done for an almost negligible performance cost. Right, and, and a developer and- I talked with at Ninja Theory recently, it's in an interview I did about the audio design and other features, even mentioned how good it was because it meant you're not fighting the CPU for performance. At least not as much. N- nowhere near as much as you would have been otherwise. So essentially, my my understanding, and please correct me as the layman here, uh, around ray tracing is that it, it is going to make for more realistic sound, more realistic simulation, uh, and, and better visuals across the board. And also, because you're taking out uh, some of the, the pre-baking that developers had to do, once it's integrated into a development pipeline, it will actually probably make life a little bit easier for developers across the board. Is that is that the, is that the too long didn't read of, of ray tracing on next gen? Pretty Basically. much. Pretty much, yeah. And also... Also, with the baking thing, I forgot to mention, that'll also help file sizes because saving pre-baked lighting is very expensive. And so, like, uh, games like Horizon Zero Dawn and uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, um, they have day-night cycles, but they actually have pre-calculated, like, global illumination for different points during the day. So they're actually loading up an entirely different, like, lighting model as the day goes on which is a whole lot of data <laughs> exactly. that needs to be streamed, whereas this can just be done as time goes on. And, bu- cool. and building on that, Microsoft even mentioned there's a dedicated decompression block about six times more efficient than the one in the Xbox Series X. And the entire idea behind this decompression block 
is that they're noticing RAM utilization, memory efficiency has gotten really bad over the last few years. And the idea is, okay, no, let's actually make sure that RAM is being used for what it needs to be. Uh, they used one example that in a 4K texture might be eight megabytes, but typically you don't need all that information for one scene that the player character or whatever the camera angle is looking at, you only need part of it. So we only utilize part of it at one time. And that's also going to bring down memory usage. Um, another thing about the RAM that's interesting is uh, it's 16 gigabytes total, but 10 gigabytes is running at 560 gigabits uh, per second. And uh, 6 is running at 336. So but it still shows up as a unified pool to developers. So basically, like, um, it, the, I assume the OS reserve is going to be pulled from the slower um, That's bit correct. of memory. But, 2.5 um, for the operating system, 13.5 for games, to be precise. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and so um, GPUs tend to be uh, much more bandwidth hungry. So um, that 10 gigabytes that's running at 560 is kind of prioritizes GPU optimized memory, um, which is pretty, like, I think at first it kind of seems like a split memory pool, which it isn't. It is still one unified pool. Um, I, there, one um, issue that a lot of uh, developers ran into this generation, um, it was something I read pretty early on about the PS4, is memory contention between the P uh, the CPU and the GPU. Whereas if they were pulling from the same pool, neither would be able to like evenly divide the RAM properly. Um, like the CPU would disproportionately take more than it would need to. So this kind of gets around that problem, um, which is cool. I, I wasn't expecting to see it, but it's a neat, uh, it's a neat little innovation that also will help keep costs down because 16, 16 gigs of, really fast GDDR6 would cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. All right. I think that we are ready to move on to, to even though it's a small thing, it's thing that I'm really excited about. Uh, so a small part of this uh, was that the Xbox back compat team about a year and a half ago said that they were done uh, bringing Xbox 360 and original Xbox games to the Xbox one. And they were going to be focusing on next gen from here on out. Uh, which is which is hard because it's you know it's a fan favorite feature but uh, you know it's it's gonna be ready for next gen and uh, it seems like they have been using that time really wisely. Uh, one of the things they announced is that um, just like we saw when the Xbox One X launched uh, and some original Xbox games and 360 games were getting resolution bumps up from what they shipped as to close to 4K or a 4K equivalent, which is like up to a four times uh, resolution improvement. Uh, they're basically going to be continuing that with Series X, except they're also going to be doing it for Xbox One games. So this is not going to be every single Xbox One game is going to do this. It will be done by, you know, it'll probably be certain popular titles where they can get the rights to do it. Um, but for example, they showed off uh, Gears of War 1 Ultimate Edition, and that game never got an Xbox One X enhancement. Uh, so it was just 1080p. And then, uh, basically, the Wizards, who, who made Backcompat possible, have it running at full 4K with zero development input from the actual development studios. It's all done in-house at Microsoft. So, basically, we're going to see Backcompat continue on, and we're going to see resolutions keep jumping up, and maybe there's more in store. Is that is that the full breadth of it, guys? Yes, it is. And even if this is only a select list of games, it's pretty darn cool that they're doing this with no developer input, without actually touching the code of the game whatsoever. Uh, that, I mean, that's I'm gonna, pretty incredible to me. I'd have to assume it's going to be mostly first-party games at launch, but I'm sure there's going to be more beyond that, right? Yeah, I'm sure there will as well. And Digital Foundry even noted in their article, which everyone should go read if you're interested in this stuff, it's fantastic, that it wouldn't necessarily be limited to 1080p games. Uh, they asked questions about how maybe 720p or 900p games... Because the, the base Xbox One had a rough go of it, uh, let's be honest. <laughs> so some of yep. those games aren't full 1080p. Maybe they could be enhanced because Digital Foundry noted that the developer overlay said scaling at 2.0. So could other scales be implemented? It's possible. It's certainly possible. I mean even if they could get them up to like 1800p, like that would still yeah. be a pretty massive <laughs> improvement. Exactly. S smiles um, in rise son of rome 
Um, oh god, I mean, say what you want about Rise, but that is a pretty game. It would be amazing visuals, if that actually The got. visuals hold up, yeah. Um, no, I, I give Microsoft a whole lot of credit for their backwards compatibility team. Uh, it, it's definitely um, something that they have planned for, um, or at least, you know, a side effect of how they've programmed their hardware, and I think it's really impressive. Uh, the other backwards compatibility thing that I think is super cool, I'm a little bit, I'm always a little bit skeptical of this because it is a machine learning um, claim. I'm always a little bit skeptical of machine learning, but I've also been really impressed with the results, so we'll see. Um, but basically, um, automatically, any game will run with HDR. <laughs> uh, based off of a machine learning algorithm that was developed for Gears 5, which Gears 5 has an excellent HDR implementation. Um, And this will be games that run in standard dynamic range. Um, They showed off uh, Halo 5 and... um, Oh, what was the other game that they showed off? With I it? thought it was. I think it was Fusion Halo Frenzy. 5. Oh, that's right, Fusion, Fusion Frenzy. Frenzy. That's Xbox. right. Yeah. So it even works with um, old backwards compatibility games. So like, if you have an HDR capable display, which I personally highly recommend you get one before getting these next gen consoles, because I think HDR is probably an even bigger upgrade than 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, would, personally, when done well, I would agree with that. Uh so, like, this is really exciting for me because, like, right now, HDR kind of has spotty support. It's getting better and better, um, but it does have kind of spotty support, but I think it makes a really big difference, and it works so well with a lot of games. Um, so, I am a little bit skeptical about how well it's going to work across a lot of games. You know, they showed two Microsoft first-party games. So, um, but if it works the way they said, it's going to be awesome. Uh, which is a re- and it's a really really cool feature, for sure. Yeah, I mean it looked interesting. They, so they showed with Halo the way they were doing it was essentially uh, using heat mapping. They were just looking at areas that were still within the the one hundred nits, uh, which is like the standard brightness on a standard uh, uh, definition television. Uh, is definition the right term to use there? Yeah, sure, sure. Dynamic so basic- range. Is- yeah, so the, so, but okay. yeah. So it was, within the, it was within the standard dynamic range, and then they were able to kind of rank, uh They were basically able to scale that way up, and so they were like, "Oh, well, this thing that's topping out in the standard dynamic range, we can actually blow that out and take full advantage of 4K." At least that's my interpretation from what they're showing with some of the the hot spotting in Halo Five, for example. Yeah, and kind of the cool thing about that is like, there's a couple games that technically have fake HDR. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2 at launch is one of them. It's improved a little bit since then, but it's still not great. Um, Where they just kind of... uh, The SDR output runs just in the HDR mode, basically. So you don't really get the proper benefits, and it actually looks worse than a regular standard definition. Like, rather... Sorry, standard dynamic range image would. Um... And so, like, that was kind of the first thing I thought of when I heard that. But then I saw the heat maps, and I'm like, oh, they're actually hitting uh, proper HDR numbers with some of these highlights, which is really cool. Yeah. So I feel like the last feature set we should talk about uh, that that was exciting for me to see. Actually, I mean, they've talked about it for a while, but it was exciting to see it in practice uh, was Suspend Resume features. So Suspend and Resume has been a feature on Xbox One that has existed but not really been reliable. So that's the idea of, uh, you know, you play The Witcher and then you go and watch two hours of Netflix and then you click back on The Witcher and it should have you right where you left off on the pause screen. Uh, on Xbox One, that often doesn't work, and a game will need to fully reboot anyway. It's been a kind of a frustrating snafu because it's not—it's just not a reliable way. It, you know, it, it's one of those things that you wish you could count on it, but you can't. Uh, but Microsoft has actually figured out a way to be very efficient with it going into next gen. Uh, and now we're actually seeing two to three games or more uh, who can have suspend resume features going at one time. And in their tech demo, they had five games running that were all Xbox One or original Xbox or Xbox 360 games. They were jumping back and forth from them, all staying on different pause screens within like five seconds of each other. Uh, It it seemed like a super, super impressive um, implementation that was like running on Xbox One's OS on the Series X hardware. It was kind of wild to see, right? 
Absolutely. I, I would definitely say this made me more of a believer actually seeing it. Because you're right, the suspend resume on Xbox One has been absolutely spotty at the best of times. Uh, just non-functional for most of the time. I would definitely not recommend ever planning around it. But this seems like they've taken feedback on that very, very seriously, and they've addressed it. Like you said, in the demo, and you can go see it. It's a public demo on YouTube right now. Uh, they zip around between State of Decay 2... Ori, uh, Forza Motorsport 7, I believe, Hellblade, um, an old 360 game called The Cave, all with only, you know, maybe five or six seconds in between each. Yeah. Not the full what? minute of loading you'd usually expect. Right, they basically show the title card for like three to five seconds and then the game is right where you left off. Well, and the cool thing was, like, Sven Resume was a feature for Xbox One games, but it never worked for BC. But them showing the cave running on 360 shows that they've actually fixed the system uh, and it's it's working on backwards compat games, which is huge. It's super, and, super important. And from what I can tell, it sounds like backwards compatibility games, you can run more at once. Um, that's kind of what the wording they use sounded like. We haven't seen how many Series X games you can right, have going right. at once. It's, it's but, very um, important to say, like, there's no hard specs on that side of things, given. Yeah. Uh, that, that was five games, but it was all, it was four Xbox One games and one uh, 360, 360 game. game. I do yeah. think, now, I think we can get some insight into that if we look at how it works. How Suspend Resume actually works, and this is one of the main reasons that an SSD must be there. An SSD has to be there for the games to function. It, they have to be installed on the SSD, whether it's the internal or the expanded storage, is that using Suspend Resume, the game is the game's RAM is actually loaded over onto the SSD. It takes, you know, maybe say 13.5 gigabytes of RAM from the SSD, and it holds the game over there frozen in time until you come back to it. Given that in mind, 13.5, a one terabyte SSD, I think we can make some assumptions that it would be two to three Series X games, and then more if you're doing Xbox One and 360, but that's just me guesstimating right now. Yeah. Um, one thing that I also, that they said that was also really impressive about the suspend resume thing is that it works after restarting the system. Uh, mm -hmm. This is like straight up like emulator save states almost. Because um, like usually when I, you know, I use suspend resume on my PS4 all the time, but you know, if I have to do an update or a patch or something, I still have to quit out and stuff. And it's like, this sounds like you might just be able to do those things and then continue playing, which is super, super cool. Um, I didn't even know it was possible to do it after a restart. So I didn't well, was it even a restart? This it was it was firmware updates you could do. Yeah, it, it was too. A, it was a full firmware update and system restart. Like and, and I did not know that. that was possible. It was more than that. So uh, the Xbox Wire blog post actually notes that one tester of the team <clears> was like determined to test this thing and unplugged the console for a week, a whole week, then came back and updated it, and it still worked. That's straight up wizardry to me. I, I yeah. had no idea that was possible. It, it's wild, and I'm really excited to see how they do it. The one thing, and again, I should say this all, this is all with a huge asterisk. What they showed today was Xbox Series X sharing the same UI that is currently on the Xbox One. So things things will probably change by launch. The one thing I saw that I wish that they, they'll implement by launch, which is totally feasible, is I wish there was an icon next to the game that would show you that it's one of your cached games. So that way you always knew which ones you had cached, just so you always, you know what I mean? Like if you had seven games and four of them were cached, it'd be nice if there was an icon that let me know which of those there were. There's time to do that, but it would be a nice little tie. Like, you know what I mean? Always knowing which games are, are in your SSD would be um, great. And it would be cool if you could even pick them. You know what I mean? Like, if you pick a game and you play it for 30 minutes, you're like, I'm not coming back to this. It would be cool if you could just say, don't save this to the SSD, save that room for someone else. Um, I don't know. It, it seems like a very, very promising feature. Um, and it's cool that they kind of brought the receipts to show us that it works. I think they definitely understood they couldn't talk about this anymore without showing some receipts. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think the next thing that we're going to move on to is the controller. Uh, this is easily, to me, the most iterative thing about the Xbox Series X. It is very, very, very similar uh, to the Xbox One controller, uh, especially the most recent designs. Uh, it is technically slightly, slightly, slightly smaller, right? Isn't that like their, yeah. their one thing? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's they said they actually said it was they specifically worked with the accessibility team 
that made the Xbox accessibility controller and took input from them on how much smaller it needed to be to fit the most amount of hands uh, in gotcha. a good fashion. Yeah, I, I feel like I remember seeing a stat at one point where it was like 97% of hands could hold the Xbox One controller comfortably, and now they have it up to like 98 or 99, that they brought it up a percentage point or two to like really make sure that like the vast majority of people um, can get the most out of it. But I mean, so the, the basic thing is, is um, you know, it's got an improved uh, D-pad uh, that's a little bit more clicky based on what I was reading about it. Uh, the bumpers are improved, which is great. That's, like, a huge critique that everyone has had about the Xbox One, especially the early iterations. Um, and then the big thing is it's got a share button, copying uh, what the DualShock 4 was popularized, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, I mean, people like sharing screens. People like yep. doing it all the time. Give them a dedicated button, clearly. Yep. I mean, it's also, <clears throat> it's also just, like, a great thing for just kind of marketing purposes and stuff like i have to imagine especially with the proliferation of like stuff like photo modes and stuff this generation that like sharing on social media has become like a major part of stuff so um i'm glad i'm glad to see that they're getting the share button because i love seeing people's screenshots and video clips and stuff right and also, you know, they built some stuff into the controller that basically, and, and they built some stuff into the hardware itself too. They're also just working really hard to eliminate uh, input lag on a system-wide level, which is great because I think that's one of the big variables that developers always have to think about is uh, input lag in their game. So theoretically, they're cutting down on that. Um, Sam, are there other features that I'm forgetting about? Oh, we're forgetting about one of the most backward-looking parts of the well, controller. Well, there's one we? good one and there's one bad one left. Uh, well, what do you guys want to do first? Good let's go ahead first. and get let's get the bad one out of the way. There is one okay. disappointment. So they are still carrying on with AA batteries. <laughs> Wait, I thought that was a joke when I saw it. No, nope. no, it's no. Not. Oh, God damn it! Yeah, I, no, there's I still really, AA batteries. I'm really shocked about this one because the Elite V2 is the best controller I've ever used. It had the the, the issues have been solved. Like it's been very very reliable apart from a couple that out the gate but like it nowhere near the issues the first one had and it has a great internal battery the internal battery in that thing charges in like 30 minutes and it lasts for well over 40 hours that's with a headset so i know they understand how to do this i just it's a little annoying it's definitely a little annoying i'm going to keep on using my elite v2 to say the least yeah well and that's the At nice least thing you can is that, uh, yeah, 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 is no, that the good news? It, it's an option. It, it's an it's an option. Uh, that was the bad news. Is like you're well, gonna keep. What, what's your good news? Is that is it that the the controllers are gonna be backwards and forwards compatible? Well, we already knew that. They'd already talked about that, yeah, uh, which is true. nice. It's the fact that we thought it was the case, but we now confirmed it is. It's a USB C port on the uh, controller. It, it does have the USB C port, which is which is nice. Yeah. Well, and I, I think there's a combination of things that make this a little bit more palatable. One is, yes, the backwards and forwards compatibility thing is so nice. So if you do want the, the Xbox Series X controller, but you don't want to upgrade to the new console, it'll work on your Xbox One, uh, and obviously vice versa. That's great for people like me who just spent $200 on a Series <laughs> 2 controller, uh, who would love to keep using that. Um, but I, I have to assume the reason they did this was just because... Um, I mean, these controllers are more advanced than they were before. There's there's improved um, uh, features across the board, and also the material looks a little bit better, right? Like, we've got textured gripping on both the bumpers and the triggers now. And, and um, Digital Foundry even mentioned that the bumpers not only felt more comfortable, but they felt more solid as well. Right. So I'm guessing it's strictly a cost thing. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's frustrating, and, you know, maybe... Yeah, I think I think one thing that would have been nice is if they were like, hey, we're going to sell... The one that's going to come in the box is going to come with batteries, but we're also going to offer not an Elite controller, just a normal controller that's like 10 or $20 more, and it's got a built-in... Like, it would be nice if they had a couple options there. Um, I mean, they could they could still do options for, like, a rechargeable battery and stuff or something. Like, they've done it before. Yeah. They technically yeah. already are with the Elite V2. Again, yeah. like, they, they understand um, it clearly. <laughs> <laughs> the other cool thing is, like, so, like, you guys, you know, who want to use the Elite V2, like, they said it's just going to be a firmware update, and you'll still get the, like, added benefits of, like, reduced input lag and stuff, which I think is really cool. Um, so, like, it doesn't sound like you lose anything from using one of the older Xbox controllers, because I also know a bunch of people that have a million Xbox controllers, because <laughs> there's been so many special edition ones. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, and More you know controllers than games. Is, and you know what the great <laughs> thing is? 
the fact that there's a physical button i'm not going to miss for sharing i'm not going to miss out because i'll just remap it to one of the back buttons or the back bumpers mm. on my elite v2 problem solved yeah so here, here's just a quick question about the new controller that i didn't see answered does it have like a volume control for headphones on it do, did we see if it has that i did not no. see an answer one way or another okay because that's one thing that annoys me with the current controllers, because I use my headphones all the time. I really wish I didn't have to back out into the OS to change the volume and stuff. I'm hoping that... So, PlayStation isn't quite as bad as Xbox at this point, but the OS on Xbox One is pretty dang slow. I think that's what makes it a headache. Because right now, all volume control is baked into the OS level, but I'm thinking that these new SSDs, our OS might be fast enough that we can quickly do it and do it in, like, three seconds or less, I'm hoping. Crossing but yeah, fingers. It, Crossing fingers, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> it would be cool, honestly, if it was just hotkey. Like, if you hold down the D-pad and then, like, then use the bumpers to go up or down. Like, if they had some way where you could, like, do a button combination, it would be, yeah. It, I would love to have it baked into the controller. <sighs> okay, are we ready to go on to the spiciest part of this podcast? Are we ready to go into the predictions? Yep, start sprinkling that spice. Okay. Let's go. Okay, so here's my thing. Since December, uh, before before the world was turned upside down, Microsoft has been saying we are going to be aiming for a holiday uh, release date for for the Xbox uh, Series X or the Xbox Series um, as a as a next gen console. Um, I think that with current events changing, I kind of expected them to stop using that launch date. So in their marketing, just start saying that yeah, it's coming. It's you know for the next generation of platforms and not give a date. But they keep reiterating the holiday window, um, and I think they seem so confident in it. I actually think that we are going to see it hit this year, and I think that we are going to see it hit um, probably low in supply because of the world flipped upside down right now. Uh, but I also think we're going to see it earlier than expected, and I think I'm ready to say I think September is a real possibility, even though that's historically pretty dang early. What do you guys think? I wouldn't be surprised to see... Well, okay, I wouldn't have been surprised before the past couple months have happened. Um, uh, If they they can still pull it off, I'll be really impressed. Um, I I still think it probably ends up being closer to the October, November time frame. Um, Just, and maybe, you know, low stock. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to predict. I don't know enough about the manufacturing process and how it's been affected by, you know, (laughs) every, everything lately to really, um, weigh in too intelligently on this. I, I hope console, the consoles launch this year still. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of, if you're done, Justin, um, I'll kind of echo that. Like it's very difficult. So I'm not going to make assumptions about, production line assuming they can get enough of a quantity to launch i'm with zach in that an earlier than october release for series x is not outside the window of possibility it's it's definitely not impossible uh from a couple of slip-ups to a couple of other things like it's certainly possible the interesting part of that is what does that mean for the other console microsoft has that we know exist do we sam Yes we, yes, we do. Yes, we do, and I'll tell you why we do. Because years ago, back in late 2018, early 2019, when leaks from Windows Central and Thorot.com uh, pinged exactly what, you know, Project Scarlet was in terms of the upper-end Anaconda and the lower-end uh, Lockhart, you know, you, we had those code names come out. Well, the Xbox Series X, a.k.a. Anaconda, has a snake imprinted on the motherboard. I rest my case. So you're thinking that's them them giving validity to Anaconda justifies Lockhart? Is that what you mean? Yes, 100%. Fair enough. Uh, Justin, do you think that we're still going to see Lockhart come this year, or do you think that's going to be maybe that's what gets pushed back from Microsoft? I, yeah, I could potentially see that getting pushed back because, I, I mean, for Microsoft, um, we haven't heard you know anything about Sony doing a two-console strategy yet. I mean, we haven't heard much from Sony in a while. Uh, Jim Ryan and Mark Cerny will not return my calls. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, I-, I could see that potentially being, you know, an avenue that they investigate because it op- it would open up some of the supply lines to manufacture more uh, Series X consoles. 
Um, I could also, you know, now that I think about it, I could also maybe see instead of like a global launch, a more staggered launch. Um, I know they did that with the Xbox One. It didn't go over well, but, you know, maybe, you know, they do bigger bigger territories first, um, you know, to try to balance out the supply lines and have a launch. I don't know. I, I do think plans are going to be, are absolutely going to be impacted, um, you know, by what's being, by, by everything. But um, I think there's some ways around it. And they do seem optimistic that they can launch this year, at least for the Series X. So I think we see it. And I don't think... I don't think Microsoft launches without if Sony doesn't launch and vice versa. So, wait, say that again. Do you think that there's? Do you think there's no way that 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 um, one either Sony gets delayed and Microsoft goes or like? Do you think they're? Do you think they're in lockstep? I, I, I think that even if it's like an incredibly low supply paper launch or something, they're both gonna launch around the same time. Fair enough. I, I just, I mean, listen, Sony, Sony has the crown this generation in terms of market share in terms of how people feel about their brand um but it's it, i mean and, and of course current events have shaken up how sony is operating but it I, is wild to be in the middle of march and the only thing we know is a logo i i hope we hear something soon because like now it, it's they first started talking about it almost a year ago in <laughs> april like which in was april. weird yeah yeah it was last april um and then, you know, we all expected kind of a big event, which may have been in the cards and got delayed. Um, Sony as a whole for the company, not just PlayStation, has been very, um, was one of the earliest that was really reacting to um, the, uh, the virus outbreak and stuff. Um, so I think probably that whole company <laughs> is kind of on lockdown. Plus PlayStation is also, you know, trying to market Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh Last of Us Part Two, Ghost of Tsushima, all three are pretty. Two of those are like the two of the biggest and most requested releases for PlayStation, like in a long Ooh. time. And one of them is also, you know, a fairly large release. So they're in kind of a weird place right now. I think that's exactly it. Which is like they're launching their last three big games. I mean, granted, Square is developing Final Fantasy, but they're they're with the title exclusivity thing. They're close. But between Final Fantasy, Ghost of Tsushima, and The Last of Us, which, as long as those last two don't get delayed, they're really wrapping up their generation, and if you don't want to hurt your exclusives numbers, I, I mean, I can see why you don't talk about what's coming next until those are out the door. That being said, I don't think Sony is, is too worried about their games not selling. Those things seem to sell yeah. themselves. I mean, I don't think they wait till those are out the door. I think... I think they just don't want to take too much of a spotlight away. But again, I do think the virus and everything has probably impacted plans more than anything. Um, and they're trying to find the right time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see something in the next couple of weeks before, you know, their end of the fiscal year thing so they can talk about it with investors and stuff like that. Investors are definitely going to be questioning. That's the yes. thing. That's the thing. Investors, like, it, for the, the previous quarter, it was like, all right, all right, just January, whatever. Now investors are going to be asking questions and they're yeah. going to be asking big questions. And while Sony, I want to preface the statement very carefully. Sony has all the ground in the world to lose and it'll be fine. But I think there's an argument to be made that Microsoft is controlling the conversation at this moment by constantly, right, by right consta now I would absolutely, by I would absolutely agree. Yeah. By constantly putting out blog posts, by constantly putting out video demos, by working with digital foundry who are the best in the business they're making a clear message, and it's fine. Sony can do. Sony can deal with it, but that is the case, and I think they have to be aware of that at this point. And I hope they're paying attention to kind of the specific messaging and details that Microsoft has been releasing because we've been getting really great deep details from Microsoft, and I really want, I really want to see something like deep dive with Mark Cerny talking about, you know, the development choices and hardware, the PS5 and stuff. Once they finally talk about that, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, boys, do we have any other predictions either of you want to throw out on the price. line before... Okay, price. you want to talk price. Price. All right, Sam, since you want to talk price, what do you think we're launching at? Ooh, okay, so this is spicy. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff crammed into this thing. Okay, there is a lot of stuff. But I'm going to stick with $4.99 with the caveat that Microsoft is clearly going to be taking more of a loss on this than they did with the One X or the Xbox One. Clearly. 
but I think they're mm-hmm. going to try their darndest and stick to that four ninety nine price point in U.S. dollars. Justin, what do you think? Is that reasonable? Yeah, I I think so too. I just I can't see them targeting above four ninety nine, especially with you know the shape of the economy, whatever the shape of the economy is going to be by the end of the year. Like, um, now I mean, also if you're like. If you're like somebody like me that is like, okay, I'm going to buy a console, but I also want the expanded storage, games, um, and stuff, it, the price gets up there pretty quick. Game Pass, baby. Um, don't buy the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I still think for both... I mean, we don't know much about PS5, but I still also... Um, just because they, we know that they're also you know utilizing Zen 2, um, probably pretty fast memory, fast SSD, like... Those are things that just gen- baseline cost a lot, which also makes me kind of interested in what the cost of, you know, the like the rumored lower end model from Microsoft is going to be because I think just reducing the GPU a little bit won't reduce the cost enough. Without um, getting because- too lost on that, I think redundancies are going to help bring the cost down using the yeah, same chip so- but scaling down. Um so that'll be interesting to see. Um but yeah, I, I I think I think we're looking at four ninety nine. I I would love for it to be that price, but I I think it's gonna be five at least five fifty. Which I know is I hope I don't seem like I'm too uh, the price is writing you guys. Uh, yeah. But but I, I, I do think five fifty or six I, I think six is a cursed number. I don't think anyone would dare do it after the PS three tried it. If they said it's going to be five fifty but it's uh, coming with three months of game pass, I actually think that that uh, might soften the blow for some people. Although if you are like uh, Sam and I, you probably have uh, a year's worth of it stacked somewhere anyway. Um, I don't know. I think Game Pass is going to be a huge, huge variable that could work in Microsoft's favor just because, like you were joking, Sam, like, if I buy a PS4 and it's $100, or a PS5 and it's $100 cheaper, but I have to buy two games, it's already more expensive than uh, a Series X and, and Game Pass. So I, I don't know yeah. how that math is going to shake out, um, but... And if and if you have Game Pass, you're going to have immediate access to, like, Halo Infinite and stuff like that. Which exactly. Is- which is, which is going to be a big deal. It'll be really interesting to see how that pans out with launch titles, and or if you know Sony kind of counters with its own subscription service or something. There's a lot of time um, to play the show now to get more flexible. Yeah. 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 I, I'm super interested. I think 500 is is a super super um, aggressive number, and I think if Microsoft, I mean, my, they've shown they've been nothing but aggressive uh, in the last several months with their marketing. So you know maybe that's what they'll do, but. I think they'll. I think they'll probably settle at like five fifty. I think again. I think six is crazy, but they might try it. The one thing that is good is that we actually did get the measurements of the chip, and initially people's estimates were that it was a decent amount larger than it actually is. It's only about like six millimeters larger than the um, Xbox One X um, chip, which is good for at least the manufacturing cost side of things. Um, people were estimating it was like over 400 millimeters, which is a big chip uh, before, but it, it is not. So that at least helps, but there are, are also a lot of forward-facing f- uh, features that are going to be integrated into this thing, um, some of which aren't even on PC yet or are still fairly new on PC. So, um, yeah, like pr- price, I think 499 is a safe bet, but I could see it go. I could see it going higher. Fair Be enough. happy with this console at four ninety nine. Is the last thing I'll say. You're getting plenty of bang. Oh for your buck. yeah. Oh yeah. This this um kind of the last thing I want to say is that like last generation the consoles that we got even um the PS four um which was the hot you know the more powerful system you know were very conservative um because people didn't know about the future of the <laughs> game industry. There were so many uh you know our consoles dead articles and you know people we didn't know we people just didn't know if they were going to be successful and so like the specs on the systems that we have right now were very conservative even for 2013 um developers were expecting like double the cpu and gpu that then we got like um which is why we got tech demos like the division and watchdogs and stuff like that which were made for what they thought they were going to get developers made for what they thought they were going to get and then ended up not um this generation is very different whereas this is all brand new architectures brand new features 
Um, it's clocked very high for a console. Um, like, these consoles are going... Well, okay, at least the Xbox uh, Series X, as far as we know, uh, is going to compare very favorably to, you know, even pretty powerful PCs um, right when it comes out, which is not something that could be said about last generation, especially with the Xbox One. Um, which is really exciting for me, because that means, you know, we can get a long life out of these systems without them, you know, kind of crumbling <laughs> under, you know, changes as things goes on. Um I'm really excited about it because I think they really, really came through to push stuff more than I think anybody that has followed tech for the past few years ever expected. Right. All right, Sam, do you have any closing thoughts before I wrap us up? No, not at all. Uh, all Even with the, even with the social distancing going on, these are exciting times, you know, stay safe, but be excited. Absolutely. All right, everybody, that will do it for us. Thank you so much for listening into our hour-long talk about uh, next-generation consoles, thanks to a Microsoft's big info dump this morning. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for being here. Anytime. And where can people follow you on Twitter, Justin? I am at RoboPlato. Awesome. And then, Sam, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Samuel Talbert. That's T-O-L-B-E-R-T. Rad. Thanks again for being here, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Of course. And I'm Zach. You can find me at Bearclaw Gaming on Twitter. Uh, and of course, you can keep up with everything SDGC does at Official SDGC on Twitter. Uh, once a week on Thursdays, we do a live podcast on Twitch at twitch.tv slash official SDGC. Additionally, we are on all the podcast platforms that you love. Uh, and if you really like what we do, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, where we have just a single tier. Uh, there's no gating on content. It would allow us to keep going to conventions once we once conventions are happening again. It would allow us to keep going to conventions, um, but it also allows us to like upgrade our equipment and produce more and better sounding quality content for you all. Um, so if you like what we do and want to help us out, we uh, always greatly, greatly appreciate that. But yeah, as Sam was saying, it's uh, been a rough week and it's uh, going to stay rough for a while. So please stay indoors, take care of each other, uh, you know, wash your hands as much as you can, practice social distancing, take care of each other. We appreciate it. Good night. Imagine how well Witcher 3 plays on Xbox Series X. 